Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. God's faithful servant, the Apostle Paul, remained in the custody of the Roman governor in Caesarea Philippi for two long years. Though this may have seemed like a waste to have the mighty Apostle detained, in God's economy, it proved to be a most profitable use of his time. We invite you to journey back with us today to the first century as the book of Acts is unfolded in a marvelous way in another life study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and based on the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. We will hear short portions of Witness Lee's 1984 spoken ministry from the book of Acts, and Ron Kangas is with us as we review the Lord's sovereignty in detaining Paul for such a long period of time in the midst of corrupt politics and evil religion. Good to be here, Chris, as always. Ron, this may seem like an overly long period where Paul is seemingly out of his function. No doubt it probably seemed that way to Paul at the time as well. But the Lord has a marvelous way of extracting real benefit and profit out of such circumstances, doesn't he? Well, surely he does in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, and in his faithfulness. We need to realize that God's perspective is always different from ours. It's very easy for a Christian worker, a real servant of the Lord, to care for his work or his activity more than anything else. Well, we're not minimizing the necessity of activity of ardent gospel preaching, of faithful work. No, we need more, not less. But God always cares more for who we are than for what we do. God's way is always first to gain persons, and then these persons will be one with him to carry out God's will on earth. This is what happened with the original disciples. They were with the Lord. The Lord trained their person. He dealt with their person. He gained their person. Then they could be used splendidly in Acts. So Paul, in the first stage of his ministry, experienced Christ being revealed in him, living in him, being formed in him, making his home in him, as he, one of the brothers in the church in Antioch, was learning to serve the Lord, but the emphasis for quite a period of time was not on Paul's work, but on Paul's person. Then from Acts 13 onward, his ministry was manifested. The Lord led him into a very blessed work, bringing many to the Lord, establishing many churches, but Paul himself needed further maturation, further revelation and vision, further growth. 
The fact that in Acts 21, he yielded to the pressure to go to the temple and pay for those making the sacrifice, he himself needed a period of time, as God would view it, a period of time where he didn't work, he couldn't work, he was limited outwardly. But during those years of outward limitation, the Lord did a consummate, marvelous, tremendous inner work in the Apostle Paul. And this is evidenced by the fact that his highest writings were the epistles written during imprisonment, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Hebrews. These epistles testify to the benefit from God's perspective, I say again, to Paul's being limited through the exercise of God's sovereignty to imprison him. Paul is limited outwardly, but his inner being is more released than ever before. So the heavens were open to him when he wrote Ephesians, when he wrote Hebrews. So you just consider our wise and sovereign God not being bound in time by what Paul was doing in the first century, but seeing far into the future when we, hundreds and hundreds of years later, would be on the scene. What would be of the greater benefit? Simply a record of Paul's activity or these marvelous, wonderful, heavenly epistles bringing to us the highest consummate divine revelation. So we need to agree with God in doing this with Paul and need to agree with him whenever he chooses to do this today because God cares more for what we are, who we are, than for what we do. And it is what we are and who we are that will be a channel of life and blessing to so many believers and those who will come to Christ through our gospel preaching. Ron, the scene really hasn't changed that much from our previous programs uh, talking about chapter 24 of Acts. Paul is still in custody, only by now he's been passed on to the new governor, who is Festus. And also today, another major figure appears who has both political and religious positions, and that's King Agrippa. Ron, who were all of these figures, and what was the nature of the political structure over Palestine at that time? It seems that there is a lot of overlap between Roman rule and the religious leadership that we see. Yes, there is some degree of overlap, as we saw when, in a previous chapter, in a previous message, when the religionists wanted to accuse Paul They did so before Roman officials, and they hired what they thought was be a most eloquent orator to be able to put into words all their accusations. So here's an interaction between religion and politics with both taking advantage of the other. On the one hand, the Roman rulers 
want to placate the religionists so that their positions in politics are not threatened by their complaints. That's why Caesar was frightened when the religionists said, in effect, we're going to report you if you don't do this, if you don't crucify this man and you let him claim to be a king, you're going to pay for this. So he would placate religion and politicians use religion for their benefit. At the same time, the religionists realized that in order to accomplish their evil schemes, they need to make use of those who have the political power. And this is an instance of religion trying to benefit and trying to take advantage of the political system. Both are exceedingly corrupt. But Paul was very wise, and as we may see, sovereignly, he was a Roman citizen by birth, and he appealed to that status twice before in Acts, and he will appeal to it again, not to save his life, but to be rescued from the schemes of the evil religionists and be given an opportunity to continue bearing witness to the resurrected Christ. Ron has been mentioned now many times. Paul had a background in both Roman law and Jewish religion. And we're going to see some of that practical training, especially in the area of Roman law, explored a bit more in our first section of Witness Lee Sharing today. Let's join him now. Let us come back to chapter 25. This chapter goes further to show us these three directions. The Jewish religion, the Roman politics, and the church life. The first section of this chapter tells us how Festus, after coming into his office as a successor of the governor Felix, how she took care of the case of Paul. He went to Jerusalem to visit the people there. And the Jews approached him, begging him to bring Paul back to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The commander spent that much energy with 470 soldiers to send Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And now these Jewish leaders want to get a thing so cheap that these Festus would bring Paul back. Then they would put the ambush on the way to kill Paul. Yes, Roman politics was rotten, yet we all know Roman law was strong. So when Festus was asked to bring Paul back to Jerusalem, he considered that was not according to the Roman law. So he couldn't do that, and he didn't. Then he went back to Caesarea and asked all the Jewish leaders to come down to him. And they came down. Here Paul didn't say much to defense. He only vindicated himself that he didn't do anything wrong according to Jewish law, nor according to Roman law. He didn't do anything wrong with the temple. 
He didn't do anything with the Jewish people, and he didn't do anything wrong with Caesar. Then, Festus, in order to please the Jewish people, he proposed, Paul, how about I sent you back to Jerusalem? And Paul was wise, he saw through the subtlety. So he became so strong. He said, I am standing before Caesar's judgment seat. Where was Caesar? In Rome. And where was Paul? Caesarea. He was standing in Caesarea. Then how could he, he says, he was standing before Caesar's judgment seat. And then he said, where I ought to be judged. Festus knew that this sentence means Paul has appealed to Caesar already. Let me read to you verse 12. When Festus had conferred with the council, he answered Paul, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And this means whatever Paul said was an appealing to Caesar. That appeal was accomplished. Paul's extensive knowledge of Roman law becomes a useful tool in the Lord's working out of this situation. As you pointed out in the introduction, and we're seeing in uh, Witness Lee's sharing, Roman politics was obviously corrupted, uh, but nonetheless, Roman law remained strong and was well regarded, wasn't it? It was, even to this day, significantly, when Pilate wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, those words were in, written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, Hebrew for religion, Greek for culture, Latin for Roman politics. And we need to acknowledge that the Roman legal system had many positive aspects, and they would give both parties a chance to speak. And so there was some degree of justice in the system. And Paul realized this. So when Philippi, oh, when he pointed out, you persecuted, you beat someone who's a Roman citizen, that woke up the political leaders. When he was about to be scourged in Acts 21, he said, is this how you treat a Roman citizen? And now here, he realizes he needs to appeal to a crucial principle in Roman law, and that is, if a Roman citizen appeals to Caesar, all of the lesser Roman rulers must honor that. They would never dare say, no, you can't go to Caesar, we'll take care of it. Right in the record in Acts, there was the immediate response, you have appealed to Caesar, that's it. That's it. Then to Caesar you will go. This was Paul's wise and prudent use, we believe directed by the indwelling spirit of his Roman citizenship for the sake not of self-preservation, but for the testimony of Jesus. Well, Ron, we want to see something more about God's sovereignty in arranging Paul's circumstance. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Agrippa's status was very confused. Probably he had either a Jewish father or a Jewish mother. 
key sister to Sila was a Jewish girl. And Bernice also was a sister of Drusilla. Yet she lived with Agrippa. So all kinds of complications there. Agrippa was a Jew in religion. This is why when Festus referring to him about uh, the Jewish matters in verse 19, questions against him concerning the Jewish religion, in which Agrippa was. Then some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus, and then from here Festus conferred with Agrippa. Actually, this case was not in Agrippa's jurisdiction. Verse 23, therefore, on the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice came with what great pomp, Luke's description shows you what kind of people they are. I say again, who is Bernice? New title here. She came with this male king. Who was she? Was she the queen? It doesn't say. Yeah, they came together as a couple with great pomp and entered into the hall and so forth. Then Agrippa asked Paul to defend. Actually, I say again, Agrippa has no ground. This is not some case in his jurisdiction. These authorities in Roman government, they were just plain. Then Agrippa said, I like to hear him. And then they set up the next day, and then Agrippa just played in listening to Paul. Ron, we touched on this in the introduction today, and that is that the Lord sovereignly allowed Paul to be imprisoned for this long period of time. It's easy to wonder why the Lord would leave such a useful servant in this confinement. But Winnesley has said that ultimately this entire sequence was most beneficial to the Lord's long-term interests. Why would he make such a statement? Making such a statement is founded upon our being the recipients of all of Paul's epistles. You just imagine if we did not have Colossians the highest revelation of Christ in the entire New Testament. Or if we did not have Ephesians, written from the heavenlies, from eternity, from the heart of God, we would not know God's will, God's eternal purpose, God's economy. We would not have a vision of the church as the body of Christ, the one new man, the counterpart of Christ. So God in his foreknowledge realized that what will benefit his, that is God's, move on the earth in the future and what will benefit the believers who will be produced in the centuries to come would be the written revelation of God, a written account of, of what God revealed directly to Paul during those years of confinement. Please remember, 
as stated in Acts 22, Ananias, when he first contacted Saul of Tarsus, that is Paul, he told him, the God of our fathers has previously appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words out of his mouth. This is a reference to direct revelation. The Lord treasured this opportunity to release revelation directly to Paul for the benefit of the entire body of Christ in the first century and throughout all the centuries until the end of this age. Thank the Lord for his sovereign wisdom in this matter. Let's go back to Witness Lee, and then we'll return for our close today. In this situation, one is standing there, different from the Jewish people, religious people, and different from the Roman politicians, and also different from the church in Jerusalem. The picture shows us that Paul lived Christ. He was a real witness to Christ. Actually, in all the defenses, he didn't say much concerning Christ. Yet, the Lord Jesus recognized that Paul was there, solemnly testifying the Lord. Because he lived a testimony. He lived Christ. He was absolutely different. I'd like to impress you with this one point that you would go back to read this few chapter, you could see all the three points from all the three categories of people. But here is the fourth one. One single person who lived a life that is Christ. He was not only preaching the propagation of the resurrection of Christ, he lived this Christ. Alive, that is the propagation of the resurrected Christ. What a victory. And what a gain to the Lord. And what a shame to the enemy. The enemy has been doing that much, yet right in the center of his doing, standing one person who lived Christ as his life. And this Christ is just the resurrected Christ propagated into this window. Well, Ron, this whole sequence reveals a lot about the various characters that have a role in this drama. But the Apostle Paul stands in such stark contrast to his accusers and even those that sat in judgment over him. The religious leaders remained hostile and willing to stop and nothing, it seems, to do away with him. And the governors and even this king, Agrippa, are exposed as all being immoral. Witness Lee's term to describe Paul, however, was that he continually lived Christ. What does it mean, Ron, to live Christ in such a circumstance? Let's rely on Paul's own wording in Philippians. He was in prison. He knew this situation would turn to his salvation. And his desire was that Christ would be magnified in his body, whether through life or through death. Christ would be expressed in his unlimitedness, 
through a little human being filled and saturated with Christ. Then Paul said, To me, to live is Christ. So Paul, at this stage of his life and ministry, is way outside of religion, much higher than that. He's beyond human ethics and human morality, much higher than that. He's not living merely an ethical life or a scriptural life or a moral life. He is living Christ. In Galatians 2.20, he said, I'm not living now. Christ is the one living in me. Then Paul was living out, that is expressing, the Christ who is living in him as the life-giving spirit. So to live Christ is to apply the cross to everything in our being that is of the old creation or the natural life, allow Christ to fill us and live in us, and then exercise our spirit to live him, that is, to express him, to magnify him. That expression, that magnification, that is the testimony of Jesus. And those with spiritual understanding and discernment can say, this is Jesus living again in one of the members of his organic body. I couldn't help reflect uh, the similarity in, in some ways between Paul's isolation here, being cut off from the brothers as he was going through this, and how the Lord Jesus, even the night before his crucifixion, was in a sense very much isolated and cut off. Of course, physically, the brothers there were with him in the garden, but they were asleep, and really he was facing that in a very, very lonely way. And this comparison between the suffering of our Lord and of his close disciples is certainly striking. It seems one marvelous matter after another opened up in these life studies of Acts. I think it's to all of us a new book, and I'm so grateful for every time you're able to come by and help us with it. hope you'll come back very soon. I'd be glad to, Chris, according to the Lord's sovereign arrangement. And we hope you will continue to stay with us as we continue and now come close to concluding this life study of the book of Acts. If you'd like to contact us about how to receive the printed messages or how to find them online, please do so. You can call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788, or send email to radio at lsm.org. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks very much for listening today. This program is brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher of the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. To find out more about these two 20th century New Testament ministers, we invite you to visit our website, lsm.org. There you'll find more than 600 titles from both authors available online. You can also listen to recordings of Witness Lee's spoken messages and see the full array of material that Living Stream has to offer. Again, that's lsm.org. Thank you for listening today.